This week on the Hey Coach, It's Blank podcast, I'm joined by KMTV Sports Director Adam Kruger as we tackle the unique challenge of organized chaos. Adam has been on several stations in the Lincoln and Omaha markets and knows full well the delicate blend of highlighting high school sports and making sure the Huskers are covered as well. Plus, we learn how those Friday night football broadcasts all come together. Coming up next on Episode 8 of the Hey Coach, It's Blank podcast, presented by Bubbles and Block Child Development Center in Lincoln. Mike Schaefer here with the Hey Coach, It's Blank podcast. In the last few weeks, we have gone back and forth through the world of radio, and we've got a little online journalism and print in there as well. And now we're moving back into the television space with today's guest, Adam Kruger, the sports director at Channel 3. Adam, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. About to get uh, back into the crazy crazy season so let's bring it on yeah did you enjoy the uh what so like you've you've done this job now you've been in in the media now for more than a decade you have a a fair understanding of how the schedule of of when you're going to be busy when things are going to work what what time of year do you carve out to actually like get away to take vacation i know if you got a family um spend time with them when when do you like is it is it July pre-media days? Is that sort of like the the time that you can get in there? But there's still also Legion Baseball, high school sports, all of that going on too. Like what for, – for a TV sports guy, what's the best time of year to try to escape? Yeah, you said it with July. I mean, basically the day after the College World Series ends until the day before Big Ten media days, that's, that's when you try to cram all your vacation in. So you have about – three, three and a half weeks to cram it all in there. And um, with the Huskers not going to a bowl game the last however many years, you know, there's there's sometimes maybe between Christmas and New Year's, you can take some extra days off too. But basically, yeah, the, the beginning of July is the ideal time. All right, Adam. So let's let's just jump into this. this is what we do pretty much every podcast. Uh, love to, to go way back to, you know, not necessarily the beginning, uh, but when it first sort of dawned on you that, yes, I want to be in front of a camera or I want to be the guy behind the camera shooting the sports. When, when did you realize that, you know, you wanted to be involved in, in television journalism or was it, was it something that kind of occurred at college? What, what, what's your background with it? No, I'd say it probably started junior or senior year of high school, maybe junior year of high school. I, I job shadowed a lawyer, saw what he did on a daily basis. And I'm like, that is way too much reading for me. So Let's try something a little more fun, a little more interesting on the day-to-day scale. And, um, yeah, then then decided I wanted to go into local TV and um, then went to Nebraska for, for broadcast journalism. And, I, I mean, I just – when I when I originally went to Nebraska, I, I, of course, wanted to be the next sports center anchor, the next Dan Patrick at the time, Scott Van Pelt. But then I did some internships at some local stations – not just in Lincoln, but also in my home market back in the Quad Cities, um, Eastern Iowa, Western Illinois, and and just really fell in love with the local sports angle. I mean, I grew up in a town in Muscatine, Iowa. It's, it's basically the size of Hastings. So basically when the news would come to town to, to feature our team on Friday night, you know, it would be a big darn deal, you know, and I personally still think it is. So when I just see how much the community, you know, just falls in love with, with being, being the spotlight game or just 
being like the, you know, they're on sports center, you know, that's when I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I love to feature these kids, especially at the high school and to a lesser extent at the, at the college level. So that's when I really fell in love with it and kind of took off from there. Did you have any, like, you know, did you, did you grow up like filming? Did you have like a family, like video recorder? Did you grow up like with any of that equipment? Cause one of the things that fascinates me with, with the TV guys is like, you know, I always had a pencil and a piece of paper and could write or a computer in front of me and could type. And like, I could get the creative outlet going for ultimately what would be my brand of journalism and everything else at a pretty early age. I feel like with TV though, like you, you sort of have to, to kind of just get it all at once. Like you're, you're was it college? Was that your first real experience with a, a camera? Yeah, definitely. Because when I was growing up, you know, I'm going to date myself here. There are, there were no such thing as cell phones and TikToks and right, all that, right, all that right. type stuff. So the closest thing I had to, to documenting stuff and reporting on stuff was, uh, was a talk boy. Shout out to Home Alone too. You know, like <laughs> driving my family nuts using that every every two minutes. Um, so that was the extent of that. But yeah, I I didn't touch a camera until freshman sophomore year of college at least. It was it so you like. What is that transition like? I had a unit in journalism college where you worked with with video cameras, and I I am not like a particularly strong technical person. I'm very much the kind of person that like turns something on, and I sort of just need it to work because if I have to reverse engineer to get this thing to go, it's just not going to go well. I don't have the patience for it. I don't have any of that. And so I I know when we went into that unit, like photography is one thing. I'd screwed around with the digital camera and everything else before. But like the video camera was intimidating to me. Like that's uh this is a whole different like piece of equipment and everything else. Like was it is it pretty natural for you like right away with it? No, it definitely takes some getting used to, especially the the big honking cameras we use, you know, being on your shoulder for two to three hours at a time when you're shooting a football game. But uh before my junior year and the summer of my junior year, I was gonna do an internship in my home market and they required that you had a videography class. And I'm like, well, I haven't had that yet. So I had to literally take a two to three week summer course, one of those summer classes for two to three weeks and literally just basically cram session of two to three weeks getting used. Yeah. Crash course, getting used to the camera. Um, But I will say, like, once I got to the internship, though, it made it much, much easier, you know, and knowing where the actual record button was, you know, what an actual white balance is and all that. So, um, yeah, it it definitely took some getting used to more so just carrying it around as opposed to just you know, once you finally get it on your shoulder and, and all that and just hit record. But yeah, I definitely, there definitely was a learning curve there for, for about a summer. You mentioned sports center and, and how, you know, the original ambition was to be like a, a Dan Patrick or a Kenny Mayne. And you're now at least the fourth guest who sort of talked about like the presence of sports center, you know, growing up and, and just how important that was. What I, what I think about it now from, from your job sense were you like locked into how those guys were talking at that time? And like the idea that someone was, or they themselves are obviously writing their own remarks that they're going to be saying as they're going through those highlights. Cause I, I know when I was a kid, I used to think that stuff was just like completely off the cuff. And then now, you know, you, you realize like someone has to like actually think through what they're saying there. You know, it's not just a random booyah thrown in here or cool is the other side of the pillow or, you know, whatever the catchphrases are, but you have to sit down and actually think about how you're presenting this highlight and what you're saying and, and how you're going to go about doing it. Like that, that was like an aha moment for me 
and sadly, I think that came in like my twenties, not, not a whole lot before that. Yeah, definitely. When, you know, growing up, when you watch sports center, you think they just kind of pull it out of their tails, you know, everything right. they're saying, but then you watch more of it and then you actually take a broadcasting class and you're like, wow, they bring a crap ton of stats to the table, you know, and they granted, they also have helped people at that level at ESPN help them with that. But still the, the, the things that go into a live sports cast are just unreal. All the puzzle pieces you have to put together, but yeah, that was definitely a, a little bit of a shock value too. When you, when you get to college and realize, Oh, you don't just get out there and start talking. There's, you have to match what you write and whatnot. So yeah, that was definitely, definitely a little bit surprising, but it, it just made me respect what they do even more because when we, when we grew up watching sports center, it was a legit 20 games they would call a night. And that obviously is no longer the case. Yeah. To you growing up Muscatine, Illinois, you, so like, what were you involved in sports was like sports, a big part of just kind of your childhood or, you know, when you first considered the media profession, did you consider the idea of news or anything like that? Or was it always going to be sports for you? No, I mean, once I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer and I wanted to go into to TV, I definitely knew I wanted to do sports. Um, I participated in football. I don't, I wouldn't say I played much football. I participated, you know, I know, like, that. I know that feeling well. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, so my biggest claim to fame was, was maybe starting on the kickoff team, doing some special teams and whatnot. Um, my better sport was actually tennis. I did start, I was top, top four on varsity in tennis, but um, no, so that was mostly the extent of my playing experience, but definitely knew I, I definitely did not want to do the news, the, the part of it, but it was just the, the sports and, and the rush you get mostly on a Friday night when you, when you get back to the station at nine 50 and you have, you know, three games to edit in 20 minutes. So I knew pretty much right away that I wanted to go down that road as opposed to news. I just keep going back to this idea of, you know, the, the lawyer thing. And it's, it's kind of like when you're younger and you think like a job profession looks like something that's entirely different than it actually is. And I, I'm curious, do you, do you have like a, do you remember what you thought like being a lawyer was relative to job shadowing? Was it just a lot of standing in a, in a courtroom and, and all of that? Or, or Oh what? yeah. I mean, I thought it was law and order and my cousin Vinny on a daily basis. Like I, <laughs> I thought was thinking I was liar, next, liar. I th yeah, exactly. I was yeah. an ex Vincent Gambini or whatever, but, <laughs> and when I realized, no, it's actually not, it's mostly like looking up past cases and whatnot and, and doing your research that way. And, very little is actually spent in a courtroom it, and it's like, no, the, the money and the time and the, 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 the loans I'd have to pay back for, for a law degree. I, I think I'll pass. Yeah. I can't believe these legal shows don't spend more time just with large, you know, binders <laughs> and, and conference rooms because that's sure. really what, what it seems like it actually, it actually is. So you, you decide, you know, you're in college, you're majoring in this, you're, you're getting opportunities. Where would your first internship? My first internship was uh, at the station I grew up watching, KWQC. It was the it was the NBC in Davenport, Iowa. Um, I mean, they were known for their Friday night show was called the Highlight Zone, and I mean, it was it was well known throughout the Midwest and and nationally. I mean, they they were known for getting the most games. Um, you know, they they were twenty games on a Friday night were not unheard of back then. So um, that's where I really really got my feet wet and realized, man, that's that's what I want to do for a living. Like granted Husker games and college games are, are great, but like the rush you get on a Friday night, when you make those kids night, when you make them feel like they're on top of the world, that's, that's what I relish the most in this profession. So I, 
one of the other things that you you kind of pick up on, you know, when you're you're in the media and you're watching as other people work, you guys don't always know how much time allotment you're going to have for however many games you're going to show on a Friday, right? Like you could have like there could be a news story that could cut into the total amount of times that sports gets, right? So you might have to condense things as it goes. Sure, sure. I mean, that's it's pretty rare, but it does happen. You know, like you think you're going to have to help like a photographer. You think he's going to get two or three games for you. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you get a call at like 830 saying, oh, by the way, we had to pull a photographer off your games because there was a break. You know, there was a car crash down the street or something. And you're like, oh, well, I was planning on, you know, 12 or 13 games. Now I'm only going to get nine or 10. So um, you have to adjust on the fly a little bit on those nights. But um Usually if you have pretty good communication in a newsroom, it's not the end of the world. And you understand that like, Hey, as much as you love this and as much as you are making these kids night, there are bigger things in this world than sports. <laughs> what, what's the most amount of games you think you've hit on a Friday night? Like, let's just use last year, for example, like how many, how many games do you think you were able to get to on a Friday night in 2022? Uh, on like a on a typical Friday. Mm-hmm. Are you speaking me personally, or mean like my team, my sports uh, team? Just you personally, because obviously as a team, like you you can build that thing up across. Right. But like you personally, is it like two to three games? Are you staying if you're getting, um, you know, Bellevue West versus Omaha West Side? Are you going to try to stay for the like one whole game? Like how do you divvy that up, and then how do you try to decide? I mean, it basically starts with with how many bodies you have helping you. You know, if you have like four or five bodies helping you, you can stay at games longer. You don't have to go to as many games. But it's when it's only three or four people shooting on a Friday night, then you have to be in and out. Like I would say, to I mean, easily on a Friday night, I would usually hit up three games or so. And maybe sometimes if there's like a 430 or something, how they have those afternoon games sometime at Seacrest, they have some of those in Omaha as well. So I mean, it, it's not uncommon for me to shoot four on a Friday, but typically th- two to three at the absolute minimum. Yeah. So when you're when you're planning on two to three, like, is there a certain amount of time that you are allowing yourself? So, like, if you're if you're at a game and it's still zero zero, and you're halfway into the second quarter, do you get a little nervous that you may not have anything to sort of use for that game? I know these are like weirdly specific examples, no. but I feel like this stuff happens. For sure. For sure. So basically it depends how long the game's in for. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We're obviously a team like Bellevue West, they're going to get more like five to, you know, five, six plays as opposed to maybe a class C2 or, or D school is only going to get one or two plays. So you basically have to judge it by how many plays you have it in for. So if I'm at a game and yeah, like you mentioned, it's zero, zero in the second quarter and I still have one or two more games, I have to decide, okay, how many plays do I have in this in for, you know? So do I stick around till halftime and maybe have to drop a game that, that isn't high in the rundown, you know, that's maybe not a big, big deal that night, maybe, but it, it just kind of depends when you're there. And um, yes, yeah, so it's just interesting. I, I swear you, it's either feast or famine sometimes with us where you could go to three games and be out in 10 to 15 minutes at each place and get, you know, two or three touchdowns at each place, or you could stay at, two games and, and be there for literally a quarter and a half and get nothing. It always just seems that way. Like you're either getting everything or nothing when it comes to Friday night football. Has there been a moment that you could think of where you're like, you're kind of thinking maybe it's time to go, but you're like, there could be something happening here and you stick around just long enough to get kind of that shot that you were hoping for. Is there, do you have like an example or is there like a play that comes to mind for you with that? 
again, not in particular off I'm the getting, top of my I'm getting real in the weeds on this, and I apologize, but no, it fascinates no, I, I hear you. <laughs> no, I hear you. Um, nothing in particular. Um, basically, if I if I know I'm watching a very good offense, like a Bellevue West or or a West Side or something like that, I usually say like, okay, I'll give him one more possession, one more possession, you know. Devon Hall is going to take one to the house if I stay one more possession or something like that. So sometimes those pay off, but then there's also times where you're like, all right, fine. I stayed, I stayed as long as I could. And then you, and then you roll out of there, literally sprint away. And then numerous times it's happened to me. You sprint away from the stadium and you hear the roar of the crowd yeah. right when you're running away. And I'm like, that kind of night for me, just that kind of night. Yeah. So, all right. You, you've got all of this high school stuff, but then you also have, you know, the Nebraska component to everything too. Like, were there sports that you've had to learn how to shoot over time that you didn't really have to do a lot of when you were going through college or had you largely, I mean, because so much of it's the Olympic based sports um, that you you're going to see those in high school. Like you've shot volleyball before because you're going to, you know, do that in high school. Was there anything that you sort of had to learn like tricks of the trade that's different with college than, than high school? I mean, I will say, obviously, college volleyball is a lot more difficult to shoot than high school, you know, like especially with the teams we cover mm-hmm. with Nebraska and Creighton and UNO, like it's it, it's a lot tougher to to follow the ball. And and also, believe it or not, hockey, you'd think that'd be easy to shoot, you know, just follow the puck. But man, covering the Lincoln Stars and the Omaha Lancers and UNO hockey like they their talent is just ridiculous. So hockey took a little bit of getting used to and believe it or not actually golf sometimes is a little hard oh, because you're, you're basically sitting at the on the green and they're like hundreds of yards away you know and you don't have the luxury of, of a mega zoom camera that cbs or, or fox has you know you just have to see that that dude you know 200 yards away and i'm like okay i think that's the ball in the air i think that's the ball in the air and uh yeah go- golf takes a little bit of getting used to but yes yeah, definitely volleyball hockey and golf took took a little bit of getting used to when when you're going from internship to actual job do you like is there a sport that you didn't really pay much attention to that now you've you've realized through work like oh this is this is like really entertaining to either follow this or to you know or to shoot this or whatever like would golf or hockey qualify for that um as things that maybe you didn't spend much time thinking about or growing up with that work sort of brought to you i mean i would say maybe a little bit hockey because i think just my personal opinion, I think hockey is the biggest difference between watching and TV versus being there in person. The the intensity difference is mm-hmm. by far the biggest difference of the four major sports. Um, so maybe that. Um, and I, I'll, I'll say wrestling is like that, too. You know, like watching it on TV is one thing, but being there in person, it is so intense, especially state championship Saturday or semifinal Friday at the state wrestling tournament. I mean, some of my colleagues would call me crazy, but that's easily one of my favorite state championships to cover because everything is so intense. Every second matters, every match matters. And there's just constant, constant action where there's some other sports where, okay, there's a play, you wait 30 seconds, there's an event, then you wait five minutes. So it's just wrestling is constant action, especially with all the talent uh, we have in Omaha. It's, it's just nonstop action that I've really, really grown to, to respect and enjoy the last decade or so. It's, it's great that you mentioned that because my experience with state wrestling, just covering it for the Columbus Telegram, you know, going in, I, I went to Columbus High, they're a wrestling school, they're always going to be up there and you know, the, the top five or whatever, um, going into to team events. But 
I wasn't a wrestler. I never really got into wrestling. Like we would attend matches or whatever. And you sort of, you know, your friends are doing well. You enjoy that. When you get to the state tournament, I I mean, it is amazing how many different storylines and how much is going on all at the same time. It's like a, uh, it's just an avalanche of the senses because you're trying to sort of follow all of this different stuff. You have all these different matches going. They're in different points, you know, in terms of if this guy's trailing and he needs to get out of a move to tie it up or, or whatever else. And then it just sort of leads to incredible drama. I mean, the, the, the state wrestling is a really well done event here in Nebraska. And it's something that, you know, people haven't ever been to or haven't watched on any TV. Like I highly recommend it. Like it is, uh, it is really entertaining and it's pretty easy. Even if you don't know the people involved, to just sort of turn that on and kind of find yourself falling into like being very interested in it. For sure. And, and I'm not going to lie. My favorite part of state wrestling is just the reactions, you know, like some people think it's gotten a little too over the top and they're trying to rein, rein it in a little bit, but as long as you're not rubbing your opponent's nose in it, who really cares in my mind, but yeah, when it comes to just raw emotion, I mean, a kid could be losing 10 to nothing or something and about to get tech fault or something. And then, in an instant flip the other kid on his back in five seconds, he just went from down 10, nothing to now he's like a state finalist or something. And the, the raw reaction, the raw emotion from those wrestlers when they, when they win something is just the the coolest moments to capture, I think in high school sports. Do you, do you feel like, you know, when you're, you're shooting stuff like that, do you have to find the delicate blend between capturing the thrill of victory but not lingering too long on any one single defeat because you don't want to traffic in their sort of low moment or anything like that. I mean, we, you see these sort of discussions pop up whenever it's, you know, it's a national level sport and they're shooting crowd shots and you just have these just over the top sad fans or that Northwestern kid from years ago or whatever else. I mean, do you, do you think about that when it's, when it's high school athletes and you're talking about, you know, one kid wins a state title and the other loses his chance at a perfect season and then how you're going to sort of broadcast that too? For sure. Because I mean, if, if a kid's, you know, number one in the state and undefeated and he gets upset and he's in your viewing area, I mean, you want to show his shocked face a little bit. You don't want to harp on it more than a couple seconds, you know, but especially if he's losing to a kid who's not in our viewing area or something, but I mean, it's, it's a storyline. You have to cover it. Like it's a big deal. You know, you don't see that every day. So yeah, there is, there is a fine line, I think between, you know, highlighting the, the kid who won and, and not hard, especially at the high school level, you know, because like like they say, you know, they're not professionals. They're not half of these kids aren't going to be doing this at the high college level. So, you know, it, it is a delicate balance, but we we try not to harp too much on on who doesn't come out on top versus who comes out on top. But but like I said, yeah, if you have a defending champ or an undefeated number one team or something or a number one seed and they lose. Yeah, you. I mean, you might have to go occasionally do the tough interview. Maybe not necessarily with the, with the player, but maybe with the head coach, and be like, "Coach, what happened there?" And because people want to know, like, how how did the, we saw what happened? We saw the upset, but how did it happen? Is what they want to know. Let me tell you about Bubbles and Blocks Child Development Center of Lincoln. The Lincoln Choice Award for Best Daycare is actually growing right now. Expansion will begin soon at their North Lincoln location, eighty five twenty one. Lexington Avenue. The expansion will almost double 
the size of their current location, and will bring with it exciting learning experiences for kids six weeks to 12 years of age. It will also offer fun job opportunities for those looking to make a positive influence in the lives of kids. They offer flexible scheduling and a fun atmosphere. For more information, go to bubblesandblockscdc.com. All right, so we're, we're jumping around a little bit, which is what I do best. I'm definitely not a very linear interviewer because my brain just fires and it's like, oh, I got to get this question in before it's gone. But so we're, we talked about your first internship and your opportunities while you were in college. You, you're out of college. What's the, what's the job market like for a recently graduated broadcast major uh, with a little bit of experience? I mean, was it difficult finding somewhere? And then were you just leaving yourself open I mean, you're you're a Midwestern guy. Were you going all over the place? Were you applying all over the place, or were you trying to stay relatively in the area? Yeah, I'll give you the the two minute version as opposed to the two hour version. So my final semester at Nebraska, we'll, we'll take the two hour version. There's no cap to this podcast. <laughs> so my final year of college at Nebraska, the the spring of 2005, I, I was actually part time. I was a part time sports sports videographer at 1011. And um, the sports director left. And so they bumped the weekend guy up. Andrew Felios left. Here's some names that some some Lincoln people might know. Andrew Felios left. They bumped Kyle D'Elia up from weekends to sports director. And so that opened up the weekend job, uh, which I did apply for. And interestingly enough, it's, it's funny to joke about now, but interestingly enough, they brought on Kevin Suits. So Kevin and I went for the same position. He got it into absolutely deservedly so because he's absolutely awesome what, at what he does. And I would learn so much more from him you know, just eight years later when I came back to 1011. But so he got the weekend job. And so I, I sent out tapes elsewhere looking for, for jobs. I, I mean, I applied to basically all four corners of the country and um, it was luckily for me, I got to stay in the Midwest, not too far away down in Lawrence, Kansas. There was a cable station that did a nightly newscast uh, called six news Lawrence. And I was able to cover the Jayhawks for two years. And interestingly enough, that was when they, were actually respectable at football. You know, they knocked off Nebraska in 05, of course, that game down in Lawrence where they drilled Bill Callahan's team. And then, um, and I think Nebraska got him back here in 06. And then uh, in 07 is when I left. And that's, of course, KU's Orange Bowl year. So um, I got to cover sports down in Lawrence for a few years, and that was awesome. And then uh, came back to Omaha uh, for Fox 42 as a news photographer because I got married and my wife got a job in Omaha. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's move back up to Omaha. So got a job at Fox 42 as a news photographer, but then um, I've I've kind of been everywhere in Lincoln and Omaha almost. So then KLKN channel eight had a number three job opening around that time too. So then I went and was a number three sports reporter at KLKN uh, left Fox 42, but then the weekend job at Fox 42 opened up. So then I went and uh, worked under JJ Davis, another name that some Lincoln and Omaha people yep. might know. He was he, JJ and Kevin. I learned more from than I can possibly describe. So was JJ's weekend guy for a few years, and then the weekend job at 1011 opened up. And um, I mean 1011, you know, people in Lincoln know that's an institution. So. As, as is Kevin Suits. So I went and worked under Kevin for four and a half years from about February 2012 to the summer of August of 2016. And then KMTV had an amazing opportunity for a sports director position and was lucky enough to be hired on there. Um, thanks in part to much of the stuff I learned from Kevin. And I've been at KMTV as a sports director for the last almost seven years now. Yeah. Is it, when, when you got into the profession, did you think that you would bounce 
as much as you sort of did there just to kind of, you know, work your way up. Because one of the things that always fascinated me with, with newspapers and when I went into journalism, I had this mindset, especially it's like, okay, I'm going to try to go get a job somewhere, but then I'm constantly going to be sort of looking because this is just how it works. Like it's, it's hard to go work for the world Herald as a Husker beat reporter right out of college. Now we had Mitch Sherman on the show a couple of weeks ago. He happened to do that. Um, but it's, it's rare. Like you, you know, even a guy like Brian Christopherson, my coworker had to go down to Florida for a short stint before the journal star brought it back. And so I, I think that's always fascinating with journalism. Like you might really like one of the stations you're at, but your avenue to getting to a specific role might require you to have to leave. Were you, were you mindful of that when you first kind of went into the job or was that something that you realized while you were kind of in Lawrence or when you first came back to Omaha? No, I mean, I think I, I took a pretty good dose of reality when, when I didn't get the weekend job at 10, 11 and, and Kevin did. And it's just like, okay, like some people are going to, some news directors are going to like you more than others. So I, I kind of learned that right away. And um, yeah, like sometimes you just have to move and go to places you're not comfortable with the, to get the experience that you need in order to be ready for those situations when the market that you want to work in is ready to have you. Yeah. Do you, um, so you, you move into kind of the, the sports director job, like how, what does that role consist of? Because I, we only know the front facing aspect of you're on, you're on television during the sports segment um, or, you know, you're putting together stuff for, for online or, or what have you. What does the rest of that job sort of entail as being a sports director at a news station? Well, <laughs> when it comes to to sportscast, everybody just thinks, oh, you just go out there at 620 and 1020, say a few things. And I know Lauren Michelson was on a few weeks ago and kind of touched right. on that. But they just think you go out there, talk for two to three minutes and you're good. But it's it there's so much more that goes into it when it comes to like not planning just the day ahead, but also planning weeks ahead. You know, when you have like a, a, a golf tournament coming up, like we have the Pinnacle Bank Championship coming up this week, planning for that or planning when fall camp's going to start and whatnot. So basically writing stuff on the calendar weeks and sometimes months in advance. That way you're not taken by surprise. And then make sure we have the staffing for someone to shoot that. Like if I can't get to something at like a signing at eight in the morning, make sure if I can't and my weekend sports anchor can't that someone in news maybe can, can have your back and go to that signing because you can't make it. So just make sure the lines of communication are open right away. So you have something to run in those sports casts. And then some days you are going out and shooting one or two high school previews and then somehow making it back to the station to, to be on air, you know, sweating bullets at six twenty and all that. So um, a lot, a lot of producing and writing and shooting goes into that, that couple minutes where, like she mentioned, like Lauren mentioned, you know, everybody just thinks it's you out there. It's like, no, it's you out there getting that stuff out. You, you out there shooting that video and writing those scripts and producing that show, not just fronting it on air for, for three minutes at six twenty or ten twenty. So a lot, a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Is it, is it fair to describe your job in some ways as like organized chaos? Cause there's, there's no way that you can do that job without being organized. But all of the planning and all of the prep in the world, you have no idea what's going to happen in any sporting event. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, as we were talking about, you want to go shoot three football games. Well, if you don't get the action that you want early enough, that's going to change the schedule a little bit. So it's just like 
you constantly have to be able to think on your feet, but you had to have the wherewithal to have stuff planned in the first place. Like it's a, it's kind of a unique thread that you really have going right there in the, the sports broadcasting world. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I kind of look at it as you have to be a chess player, even though I suck at chess, like you do literally have to think three or four moves ahead because not just for yourself, not just, okay, I can allow myself 20 or 30 minutes of this game, but also your three or other two or three or four other photogs that night. Okay. You have to think what their night could be like, you know, like, well, they're, they're at such and such game where it's going to be, it's going to be a defensive dogfight. You don't want to send them to that, to a game where they could be stuck for a while, you know? So you have to, you, you have to think not only three steps ahead when it comes to your night and your week, but also how it affects others and how that could affect your sports cast when, you know, like you, like you mentioned sports, you never know what, what could take you. You don't know what highlights you're going to get or not going to get. So you do have to think very much ahead. And um, it's something I've definitely had to adjust to over the last seven years I've been in this position. What, so what's a, what's a Husker Saturday like, like they're so much of it dependent on what time that game kicks off. Like if they have a 7 PM kick, is your day different than if they have the 11 AM? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a night game, you know, you, you have pretty much all day to, to prepare your sports cast and prepare what else is going on, whether it be Creighton volleyball, Nebraska volleyball, uh, what other stuff, what other stuff is going on in Omaha or even over at Iowa Western, where an 11 a.m. game, you know, you're getting to the stadium at 8 a.m. Like for, for a Husker home game, it, I make it a priority to be at the stadium at least three hours in advance. One, to beat traffic, obviously, and two, to plan out my day as far as producer rundown, you know, what besides Husker football, what else can we get that other people in the community care about as well? So, and then if it's obviously, if it's a big Husker game, like what other elements can we add to this? Like whether it be like the spring game with the Frank Solich element, how much do we want to blow that out and whatnot? So um, I like to get to the stadium at least three hours in advance to plan my day. And, and sometimes if it's, if you're not at the station super late the night before with Friday night football, maybe get an idea of your head. Okay how are we going to go about covering this? Not just the Huskers, but other stuff, because as I've learned and as I've gotten emails about, there are, there are people who care about other stuff besides the Huskers. So you want to make sure you're giving them their, their due as well when it comes to, to the sports they care about as well. I was just going to ask that because I think, you know, I'm in a fortunate position where my focus can largely just be Nebraska or recruiting for future Nebraska players You've got to be able to because you're you represent a community that exists far beyond Nebraska football, but Nebraska football is the most popular thing. And you also know, like, if you don't cover that to an extent, you're going to lose viewership that way, too. How do you try to blend making it so you you have enough Husker content, but you also can showcase like we're not just only showing Husker content? Is that, is that like one of your daily challenges when we get into football season? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially on a, on a, I'll just take an instance of Saturday when Nebraska may be at home and the state volleyball finals are that day too. You know, how do you balance that out? Well, do you just take it off TV or you know, Nebraska public media or do you go and give it the coverage, especially if it's a team in your viewing area, like Papio South volleyball, they're becoming a dynasty. So, you know, you don't want to just take it off TV and just, say, Hey, here's a couple eyes, by the way, Papio South won the state title. It's like, no, this is the biggest deal to that community. So you want to blow it out with as much highlights and reaction and celebration as you can while at the same time balancing. Oh, by the way, Nebraska has a, 
has a somewhat important game today. And, and, and it just, it honestly does depend on the, the, the importance of a, how big of the Nebraska game is it? Is it against like a Purdue or something where it's not really consequential or is it against like a Wisconsin or an Iowa where yes, Nebraska and Iowa, you know, those are rivals, Nebraska and Wisconsin to a lesser extent. So I, that obviously goes into it. And yeah, there are some days where I may not, may not blow out Huskers, you know, maybe as much as people like, but it's like, you know what, these, these girls or this team is winning a state championship today. And, you know, that sure they'll, they'll, they'll watch, they'll watch Husker highlights for two or three minutes to stick around for me. But like, if you can make their day, you know, like do it because they, they put in so much work at the high school level. How much does, and and without knowing what your travel situation is with channel three, but how much does an away football game on a Saturday in the fall kind of throw a wrench into what you're trying to do? Because if you're, you know, if you're going to go to the Colorado game, for instance, that means not just you, but several people are probably unavailable for your Friday night coverage for high school sports. Yeah, I mean, usually I'm, I'm willing to go on ro- most Husker road trips solo, and my station's been great about sending me to pretty much every road game the last few years. So they've been great about that. So, but that's still it, probably about at least three high school games we're not getting on a Friday night. So, it, it's tough, especially when it gets into to like that first round of playoffs when it's do or die for everybody there. And so that that's a that's tough when, you know, you're in some random hotel room in Madison or Michigan State or something. And, you know, you see that your weekend sports anchors back there scrambling by themselves with maybe one or two photogs trying to trying to put together a very you know respectable Friday night football show. So, yeah, it's a very, very much a tough balance. And uh it's one of those you wish you could be in two places at once type thing. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I asked this to Lauren. I think I've asked this of, of lots of people, and especially in your profession. What's the biggest misconception that people have about what you do? I'm going to say the same thing that Lauren said. That basically, we just show up and read and read off a teleprompter, you know, and, or that we have, like, makeup people or something. They're like, what time, <laughs> what time do you have to be in makeup, you know? Do you need, like, 10 or 15 minutes or, like, a half hour? And it's like, no, I need more, like, 15 seconds to throw something on so I'm not sweating like a pig out there. So... Yeah, I would probably say that, that the misconception that people just think we go out there and read. And I'm just like, no, if anything, that is maybe five to 10 percent of what we actually do when it comes to, you know, producing one, deciding what games we cover two, producing a sports cast, three, writing that sports cast four, shooting that video and five, editing that video. And oh, by the way, we got to go out and present it and make it look like we somewhat know what we're talking about twice a night. Yeah. And you only have X amount of time to do all of this. Oh yeah, with like a producer and you're saying, you know, wrap up right. You still have two or three games left and you're like they're like 30 seconds in show, 30 seconds in show, and you're going all over the place. You want to try to get games yeah. as many games in before they have to go to, you know, whatever late night show they toss to. So, you know, you might cut out of a game, you might cut out of a game a, a player too early just so you can get that other school on. Cause that's the worst part. When you go and shoot a game on a Friday night and you show that community, you highlight that community, and then you their highlights on aren't on air, and then you're they're like why were we on air? We saw your camera there, you know? So yeah, it's, it's very much a juggling act. Do you, do you get a lot of feedback from communities that are like, Hey, I mean, what about us? Why aren't you showing us? Like, is that, I, you know, cause I, this is not something that I really have to think about or had to think thought about since I was at the telegram where, you know, you have a coverage area of 20 some teams. You're obviously not going to be everywhere all at once, but 
I would imagine you probably get some feedback from from viewers like, oh, why aren't you showing this? And then how do you how do you try to keep everybody happy in that vein? Sure, sure. I mean, there's some there's some communities definitely probably maybe I'm, I'm more so on the Iowa side that there's some great teams over there. And and granted, they're more like half hour, 45 minutes away, whether it be the Harlands or the Glenwoods that I wish we could go to because Harlan and Glenwood are awesome at a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a Friday night, like when you only have so many bodies, m- me, someone else, and then maybe two, a couple photogs that I like to keep everybody within a 30. I'd, I'd rather have somebody get two or three games, you know, and, and stay in a 30 minute radius than maybe go out to that 45 to an hour away. But if that 45 or an hour away is for like a, a district title or something like that, then, you know, a spot to go to state, then you definitely have to prioritize. Would you rather get two Omaha games of lesser teams or would you rather go that 45 to an hour away where you can highlight a team who's actually playing for something? That's a delicate balance you have to think about in your head as well. So I will say, I think people maybe are a little more understanding of, of our limitations when it comes to resources now, as opposed to maybe 10 years ago. Cause I mean, let's face like nobody gets the same amount of games they did 10, 15. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you have any kind of recollection of your, you're at a high school football game, you're watching a team play and just a player pops. Like, is there, is there a handful of guys that you've just been, you know, throughout the course of your career, you've seen them play on high school on Friday nights and you just know that guy's going to be a player. Do you have any, do you have any like notable examples of that that you can sort of think of where and it could even be someone that's already, you know, they, there was advanced hype for you, you know, going into the first time that you watched them. But is there anybody that, that comes to mind for you in the, in the Nebraska area? I mean, the first two names that come to mind are Hunter Salas and Chucky Hepburn. I mean, they more so Chucky from right off the bat because, you know, he oh. had offers, he had offers right off the bat. So, I mean, but, but then Hunter, you, you see, okay, I, I kind of see it there, you know, in his sophomore season, then junior year takes an absolute giant leap. You know, everybody knows who he is by then. So I would say those are the two names that come to mind. Um, and then even some of the lesser sports, like, like Jordy ball, you know, I, I remember covering her when she was, you know, sophomore, junior year and all that. And it was like, oh yeah, they're going to be, they're going to be good with her. Yeah. They turned out to be pretty good with her and she turned out not to just be good on a state level, but uh, pretty much on a national level too. So just seeing those kids, you know, go from like decent to good, to great, to elite, like that class. I mean, I, that class was just unbelievable of, of athletes of all kinds, you know, with the, with the George, Jordy ball class. I think that was the Lindsey Krause class as well, maybe. And the hunters and the Chuckies. I mean, that, like the Omaha market got so spoiled when they were around and that was like a golden you know, era of sorts. Yeah. And I think that was might Fedoni might've been a year before that as well, but that, that year was just unbelievable with the amount of talent we had in our area. When, when you, uh, when you're talking about Jordy ball, that made me wonder like, so, so she's going to be obviously pitching for Nebraska next spring, but do you take into account when there's somebody like that, that's so notable that you feel like people are going to want more highlights of, of Nebraska softball or, or they're going to want to just know a little bit more. You feel like compelled to, to maybe show more of Nebraska softball than you have in the past, because there's almost this sort of, celebrity air to it now with Jordy ball and everything that she accomplished in Oklahoma and then coming back for her first year here at Nebraska. 
For sure. Like they, this September, October, whenever they have their fall, their fall games, they're just, which are basically just exhibition games. Like we plan on staffing that like every, I don't care if it's a fall match and it doesn't count towards the big 10 standings. Like there's still going to be a thousand people at those fall games and it's even going to be crazier during this, during the actual spring. So I don't know that people are prepared for how wild that scene's going to be. Absolutely. So yeah, we're going to cover, we're going to cover Husker softball in the fall. Like it's like, it's basically like a regular season game, especially the more Jordy pitches. So absolutely. It's going to factor into our coverage as it should. I mean, she's, I don't think it's a stretch to say, especially in a sport like softball, she is the Caitlin Clark of college softball. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's, I think that's absolutely fair. All right, Adam, we finish up with this with like everyone. And it's always, uh, it's always my favorite part because the stories are so great and they're usually very humanizing and I can put myself in the shoes of the, of the people telling them, do you have any great, uh, you know, they could be, just like really outstanding interactions, awkward interactions that you've had with, um, you know, just largely kind of been like college coaches so far, but do you have anything like that? Any stories that you can remember a question that you asked and you're like, Oh, immediately regret asking that. You have anything like that? Well, I mean, multiple times in the Bo Pelini era, like you didn't cover the Bo Pelini era unless he called you out at a press conference. Yeah, like it was not a fun experience. Yeah, that I, the first thing I think of is uh, I think it was 2010 at Iowa State. They won an overtime. Eric Haig had like an interception or something mm-hmm. like on a two point conversion or something. And um, first thing I asked Bo was a question about the defense and them not playing great. And he goes, "I thought the defense played all right. I don't know what game you were watching or something like that." Now, now, granted, five minutes before that, I had a camera in his face doing what we call a hero shot, looking right up his nose. So he probably and he told me to get the camera out of his face. So I'm sure he was remembering that from five minutes ago. <laughs> So that was a that was an awesome interaction with Bo. I'm sure every everyone who covered that era has a great story about that. But uh, I mean, I've had some interesting ones along the way, like the day Doc Sadler got fired. Um, I was supposed to stake out the Hendricks Center and see if Doc had any comment, and I waited and waited out in the parking lot of the Hendricks, and then uh, you know Doc comes out, and I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, this is my chance to get the only comment from from Doc Sadler. And I'm like, hey, Doc, sorry, sorry about the news today. You have any comment? And he, he almost had like tears in his eyes. He goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what I have to say at the stadium. And we're like, this is before, you know, Nebraska coaches who got fired. You know, this was before Mike Riley speaking. Yeah, there, there used to be a time where the fired coaches would just leave and there wasn't like a press conference. And so he says that to me and I'm like, he's going to talk at his own firing. And so, of course, I get on the phone with, with Kevin Suits, my sports director, and I'm like, uh, Kevin, he thinks he's, go- he's th- he thinks he's going to speak at the stadium at his firing press conference. And sure as, sure as heck, he showed up there and, you know, we know the rest, balled his eyes out in front of Tom Osborne, the man who fired him. And that was, that was kind of one of those interesting interactions. But those are probably two of the ones that stick out the most to me. Yeah. Is that a tough day? Like, I, I've had to do it, too where you're just sitting at a stadium because you know, there's a coaching change and you're there and you know, we're, we're there waiting for whether it's Bob Diaco or Mike Cavanaugh or whoever to come out. I mean, those, those two are notable because of their sweaters. I think those specifically those days, but um, it's, I just, it always feels so awkward, but it's also like, you kind of have to do it. Like it's part of the job. Like it's, it's not the fun part of the job, but it to me, there's still a value of having someone there because there's still a chance that they're going to say something of note and people want to know. People want to know how they react to it or how they feel about it. Right. And I think each of us maybe kind of debates 
goes back and forth depending on the coach that gets fired. Be like, is this really newsworthy? Do, do fans, viewers, and, and people all that, do they really want to see or hear this? But then I think of another case like Tim Miles. He walked out of West Stadium that day. Bill Moose let him go, and he had no problem to talking to us. And I remember that interaction where he basically just said, you know, like, it's not the end of the world. I'm going to get in my car, go home, and have a cold Coors Light. And no one asked him a question because it's like, well, what else can you say? So <laughs> – but yeah, in that instance, was it absolutely worth staking out the stadium? Sure, because that was, you know, that soundbite was played all over the country. Yeah. All right, Adam. Hey, I appreciate uh, you know forty five minutes of your time here on a on a busy August uh, Monday. I know that there's no shortage of things that you have going on, so appreciate your time here on the Hey Coach It's Blank podcast. Uh, great catching up and and kind of learning about everything in the broadcast media world. Yeah, no problem, Mike. And I appreciate everything you and your team do. You know, when when a Husker has when the Huskers have a commit, you guys jump on with us as, as soon as possible. I appreciate that and everything you guys do over there. Hey, just people helping people. That's what they always say, right? For sure. All right, Adam. Have a good one. Appreciate it. You too. Thanks, Mike. Another episode in the books. Just two left here in the first season of the Hey Coach It's Blank podcast. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. Feel free to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Adam Kruger for joining today, and thank you to Podcast House Media for hosting. And, of course, many thanks to your great presenting sponsor, Bubbles and Blocks Child Development Center of Lincoln. Back next week with another episode of the Hey Coach It Blank podcast.